Welcome to State Bar of Michigan's On Balance Podcast, where we talk about practice management and lawyer wellness for a thriving law practice with your hosts, Joanne Hathaway and Tish Vincent, here on Legal Talk Network. Take it away, ladies. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the State Bar of Michigan's On Balance podcast on Legal Talk Network. I'm Tish Vincent. And I'm Joanne Hathaway. We're very pleased to have Dave Reese of Counsel Attorney with the law firm of Clark Hill in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Join us today as our podcast guest for the second part of this two-part podcast series to talk about cybersecurity practices that won't bust your budget, some practical tips. Dave was also our September podcast guest when he spoke about cybersecurity practices that won't bust your budget, Security Basics. If you didn't have an opportunity to listen to that podcast, we invite you to do so. So Dave, would you share some information about yourself with our listeners to include your background in cybersecurity? Sure. I practice with Clark Hill's cybersecurity and privacy team. I got my first computer in the early 1980s. It was the first year that PCs were available, so I kind of got in on the ground floor on using technology in the practice of law. And, And for a number of years, I was one of very few attorneys who were actually using computers for practice. Over the years, I've tried to strongly encourage attorneys to embrace technology and to do it in appropriate and secure ways, because we all know technology can be dangerous. And since the mid-1990s, I've increasingly focused my practice on cybersecurity and privacy. So I've been in the practice area kind of since the ground floor. In the first session, you discussed threats, attorneys' duties to safeguard confidential data, and a comprehensive approach to cybersecurity. What are the next steps? All right. In the first session, I explained kind of the macro of cybersecurity. Uh, the need to develop a comprehensive risk-based cybersecurity program appropriately scaled to the size of the law firm and the sensitivity of the information. So that's kind of the umbrella, and security won't work without that umbrella. It's important to you know put everything together as a program, not just to pick ad hoc uh, security practices and adopt them on a one-by-one basis. So in this session, I'm going to review some of the specifics, the practical tips of how you move from the macro to the micro, the specific things that we should be doing to protect the different technology, devices, networks, etc. that we're using. So this session is going to be practical safeguards. What should attorneys do to protect desktops, laptops, smartphones, and all the other portable devices they might have? Well, there's a checklist that I use for this that I'm going to work through, and we'll make it available to you. Uh, Just a quick aside, I'm a big fan of the book, The Checklist Manifesto, and I think using checklists works very well for Uh, cybersecurity and privacy. It also works well for a number of other things in the practice of law. So I encourage uh, 
everyone to, you know, use checklists, put things in writing, not to just do things on a uh, uh, differing basis every time you deal with it. So number one is to follow the setup instructions. And that includes for desktops and laptops, uh, the instructions from Microsoft for Windows and the instructions from the device manufacturer. For smartphones, the instructions all come from the uh, handset manufacturers or the tablet manufacturers. They're better now on telling you what to do for security. In the early years of some of these devices, you had to jump to appendices or other places to find them. So number one, follow the manufacturer's setup instructions for security. Second, set up administrator and standard user accounts. You don't have them on smartphones and tablets, but you do on desktops and laptops. There are two different kinds of user accounts. One is standard, the other is administrator. For installing software, for making certain changes to the device and the operating system, uh, you have to be in an administrator account. If you set them both up and you use the standard user account most of the time, some malware can't take over the computer. It's not total protection, but it is strong protection. Number three is to use a strong password or passphrase. I recommend using a passphrase like I love tech show 2019 with an exclamation point at the end. Uh, it's long, complex, and easy to remember. Also, there are password lockers like one pass, last password uh, that do it for you. Uh, I recommend using them. Next, set up auto lock after X minutes of inactivity. So you can set up a computer that it will log off uh, after 5, 10, 20 minutes of activity. That way, if you walk away from your computer or your phone or other device, someone can't pick it up and, and use it because it'll be locked. Also, setting up a lock after a specified number of incorrect logon attempts. That protects it if it's uh, lost or stolen from someone using an automated method to try to guess the uh, password. The strength of that protection is evidenced by the battle between Apple and the FBI uh, on decrypting iPhones after they've locked. Enabling encryption. So on modern Android phones and iPhones, when you put in a passcode or password, they're automatically encrypted, so it's turned on. On laptops and desktops, whether they're Windows or Mac, you have to turn encryption on. The manufacturers have instructions for it. The consumer versions of Windows do not have encryption built in. A professional and enterprise does. Turn on the firewall. That's turning on a software tool. Install software security and have auto-update enabled. Secure the internet browser. There are privacy settings in them and set them to medium or above because those are both for privacy and security. And then turn off unneeded services. Whatever you have on your desktop, laptop, or other device, if you don't need it, uh, it can present a risk. So turning it off uh, can present that. And finally, uh, to follow up on the business versions of Windows, even though it costs some money, I suggest using business-grade laptops rather than consumer ones. Uh, they cost more, 
but they are more durable, though usually last longer than consumer-grade ones, and they have better security capability. One important thing for encryption is a TPM chip. That's a trusted platform module chip that business-grade laptops have and consumer ones don't. You can encrypt it without them, but it's more difficult. And again, in Windows, the professional and enterprise have built-in encryption called BitLocker. The less expensive ones don't. What should attorneys do to protect servers and networks? All right, so we've talked about what are called the endpoints. You know, those are the desktops, the uh, laptops, uh, smartphones, portable devices. So next we want to look at the network, what they're connecting to. You know, a small law firm may not even have uh, a network and servers, uh, but if they do, even a small one, it's important to take steps to protect them. And I should mention that most attorneys will need some professional help in uh, setting up network security. On the portable devices, laptops, desktops, a lot of of attorneys, if they are willing to spend the time and follow the directions, it's not difficult to set them up securely. Networks are. And unless an attorney is pretty astute in technology or willing to spend the time to learn it, it's better to get some professional help. So the first step is having strong authentication and access control. That's to get into the network when you log on to the network. It should be a strong password or passphrase, uh, just like on the individual devices. In a network setting, it can be set up with single sign-on so that when you log on to the desktop or laptop, it also logs you into the network. So that will avoid you having to enter the same uh, password twice uh, or having to have separate passwords uh, for the two. Uh, another important step is closing unneeded ports. So, you know, you have a closed network within the law firm, uh, and generally you'll have some type of external access. So that'll be for people to get into the network or for the network to connect to various service providers and things of that nature. Uh, the connections are usually through like doors in the network that are called ports. So they're like doors or switches. Uh, make sure that you close all the ones that, that you're not using. Next, having an automatic log off, just like you do on the individual devices, when someone connects into the law firm, particularly if it's remotely, uh, having an automatic log off from network connection uh, so that they have to enter their credentials again. Next is segmentation. And that just means dividing the information up. The larger the law firm, the more that segmentation is necessary. A lot of law firms will take their financial and personal information and segment it so only people who need to uh, to access it, can access it, uh, but they don't do enough segmentation of client data. So uh, sometimes it's helpful for everyone to be able to get access to everything, but particularly with highly sensitive information, it's better to divide the network and limit access to what people need to do their work. Another important step 
with networks is enabling and retaining network logging. So logs are automated records of what goes on within a network. If there's a, a data breach or an intrusion, or oftentimes just with uh, network problems or glitches, the logs are the keys to understanding what happened. And for an example, in, in a data breach, if you have an intrusion with good logging, you may be able to find out that someone got into your network but didn't access any confidential information. So it then does not become a breach where you have to give legal notice and things of that nature. Logs are often the key to being able to determine whether or not there was a breach when there's an intrusion. And then finally, setting up uh, standard network and physical security. Again, there's some written materials on that, and we don't have time to go through all of it in, in this presentation. But that's an overview of what's necessary to uh, secure servers and networks. And one additional point before we move on is that it is particularly important to have security for wireless networks. So uh, within a law firm, if you have wireless, you want to make sure that it is locked down and protected. If attorneys are using home networks, you should make sure that they are secure. That's particularly important in the you know, work at home environment that we have today. This is technical, but there are different wireless security standards. The two current ones are WPA2 and WPA3. If you have an older wireless system that has an older wireless technology, replace it. Also, when you're connecting in from outside, we're going to talk about that a little more in the next segment, but have a virtual private network, a VPN, which gives you an encrypted tunnel over the internet. Be very careful of public wireless networks. Most security professionals recommend that public wireless networks not be used for sensitive information, which would include most of what we do as attorneys. So be very careful and uh, certainly don't use a public wireless network unless you've had a security professional set up your computer or whatever device you're using uh, in a way that will be secure. The Department of Homeland Security even recommends that consumers don't use public networks for banking. So, you know, what does that say about, uh, you know, what we should be doing as attorneys? So that's an overview of uh, servers and networks. What are the security considerations for remote access and working from home? All right. So we obviously are in the middle of a vast expansion of remote access and, and work at home. Uh, I'm still working at home except for one day a week that I go into the office for part of a day. And many law firms and businesses earlier this spring with the shutdown for the pandemic moved very quickly into a, a work at home uh, environment. Some had been prepared for it because they had a lot of it in the past. Others were just moving into it. But I wrote a, a client advisory uh, about a month ago that was dealing with the, the topic, all right, now that we're settled in the new work-at-home environment, go back and do a security audit 
check and make sure that you're doing everything in a secure way to make sure you didn't miss anything in the rush in the beginning and to make sure that you didn't uh, haven't learned anything that causes you to change uh, you know, the way that you've been doing it. So I use a chart to illustrate this, which of course we're, we're not using in a podcast, uh, but there are three different areas. First, the, there's the remote user. So that's someone at home or at another remote location uh, that's connecting into the law firm. Second, there's the internet. There's the path of communication from wherever the remote user is. And for many of us, it's at home now and into the law firm network. So what we're really putting together here is the kind of steps that we looked at earlier for uh, securing the endpoint devices and for securing networks. So at the remote end, for most of us at home, you have to make sure that the laptop, desktop, or tablet that you're using is secure. And we went through the steps for securing them, so they're important in this context. Second, securing the home network. And I mentioned that at the end of the last question. It's making sure that you have an up-to-date wireless access point. And today, it's really important to make sure that the firmware or software on it is up to date. Uh, they've been finding vulnerabilities in even newer wireless access points, and they have to be updated. So just like your computer, where you add the Microsoft patches and things of that nature to update and eliminate security vulnerabilities, uh, you now have to do that on your uh, wireless router. One thing that I recommend if you're going to be working at home a lot, if you have other people at home that are using the wireless, that you set it up with two different wireless networks or two different wireless clouds. So one is more secure. The other one uh, can be one that you know the kids are on doing their gaming and going to the kind of sites that they do uh, because it can really be a security risk if you have everything on one wireless network, even if it is uh, securely configured. Next, having a secure internet connection, that's generally going to be using a virtual private network, as I mentioned before, or another type of secure connection so the data can't be intercepted. Now, a few more things to, to look at at home. Having printer security, making sure that whatever is on the computer that you print, that you securely delete it, make sure it's not stored if it's highly sensitive. Might not be necessary for everything, but uh, making sure that a wireless connection to a printer is secure and being careful of what data may be left on it. Next is paper security. Most of us have gotten into the habit of shredding confidential documents in the office when we're discarding them. You know, what about at home? If you're printing confidential client information at home, you need a shredder. You can't just put it out in the trash. Next is physical security. If you have confidential paper information or law firm technology at home, making sure the best you can that it is physically secure. And then the last point on work at home is the danger of bring your own device and home computers. 
You know, sometimes uh, attorneys have to do that at home, but it is a real security risk, particularly if other family members and, and kids can use the computers. It's much safer to have a dedicated computer for law firm work or attorney work, you know, rather than a shared home computer. If you have a shared home computer, it's really important to make sure that all the patches are applied to the software, just like on the law firm computer, that you have security software that's up to date. And I would even suggest uh, setting up a separate user account, just like you can have an administrator account and a standard user account. You can also set up multiple standard user accounts. Uh, so that would be a, another protective step. I already discussed the importance of a secure internet connection, so I'm not going to go over that again. And then at the site that you're logging into, that's often going to be the law firm, but other times it will be a cloud service provider. I'm going to talk about them a little bit later in this session, but it's really important to have a secure connection there and using the multi-factor authentication. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're seeing them on consumer sites now with banks, on shopping sites, but that's where you need, in addition to a username and password, some type of uh, security code. It sometimes comes by text message. Uh, the easiest way is using a security app like Duo or Google Authenticator, where you just have to hit a an OK or button rather than entering in a code. But that's one of the most important steps for remote access either to the law firm or to cloud services. Then the, the other steps that I talked about in network security, it's particularly important to have them with remote access, you know, particularly closing off ports that aren't used to limit external access to the law firm to the channels that you want to actually use and are actually authorized. So that's an overview the remote access and work at home just takes the issues that we have in a network and moves them outside the secure network. And so it adds additional levels of security that need to be addressed. Can you say a little bit more about the security that is proper for cloud services? Sure. You know, if you go back 20 years ago or so, there was a lot of debate about whether or not it's safe for attorneys to use cloud services. That debate, I think, is well behind us. And it's pretty clear now that a lot of cloud service providers can actually provide stronger security than many law firms or attorneys can provide on their own. But it includes some due diligence, uh, making sure you're dealing with a reputable cloud service provider, including understanding their terms of service. There are a number of ethics opinions on attorneys using cloud services. The ABA Legal Technology Resource Center has actually published a web page that has a list with links to all of them. And there's at least a dozen, I think probably more than that. But they basically all say that attorneys may use cloud service providers consistent with the ethical duty of confidentiality, but it's important to do it in a way that you go through the due diligence, uh, that you understand 
you know, what confidentiality and security that they have, that there be some legal requirement through a contract or otherwise, that they will provide the security that they say they will, you know, those kinds of considerations. And services like uh, Microsoft 365, Google G Suite, a lot of the practice management service providers, cloud backup can actually provide stronger security than many law firms uh, can by themselves, like I just mentioned. But they often require secure configuration by the end user. You know, we've seen a lot of issues where some of the commercial cloud service providers have suffered data breaches, but they're not because of the structure they provide. It's because the individual account holders who set up their accounts don't set up secure configuration. And an example of that is multi-factor authentication. A lot of the cloud service providers have it available, but the users have to enable it. So those are the kinds of things to look at. And then I want to talk a little bit about encryption before we finish. The strongest way to protect data that's in the cloud is if the end user, in this case, the attorney or the law firm, has the decryption key. So the data is encrypted when it leaves the law firm. It stays encrypted in the cloud, and it can only be decrypted uh, by the end user. That's the strongest, and for cloud storage of sensitive information and things, it's something that can practically be done. If you're using a service provider where you're actually processing information on their site, like you know practice management sites, e-discovery sites, you know, even if you're using the online Office 365 or the online G Suite instead of processing on your computer, it has to be decrypted in the cloud for the data to be able to be processed. But if there's a choice for stored data, it's better to have the encryption, uh, you know, at the end user's end rather than in the cloud. So that's an overview of the practical tips for security. So with the two sessions together, we have the micro in this one, the macro in the early one, and if you combine them, you have a roadmap for providing reasonable security. That's great information, Dave. It looks like we've come to the end of our show. We'd like to thank our guest today, Dave Reese, for a wonderful program. Dave, if our guests would like to follow up with you, how can they reach you? Uh, I'll be glad to respond to emails. It's D-R-I-E-S at ClarkHill.com. Thank you, Dave. This has been another edition of the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast. I'm Joanne Hathaway. And I'm Tish Vincent. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the State Bar of Michigan On Balance Podcast. Brought to you by the State Bar of Michigan and produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find the State Bar of Michigan and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download Legal Talk Network's free app in Google Play and iTunes. 
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network or the State Bar of Michigan or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.